You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Yes. everyone and welcome back to Stage Doll Podcast. Before we get into today's episode, which is another deep dive as voted by you, we would like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, the traditional custodians of this land on which we work, live and record and recognize their continuing connection to land, water and community. We pay respect to elders past, present and emerging. Eliza, take it away with the bulletin. Dolly Parton and producers John Frost for Crossroads Live, Susan Jones and Ambassador Theatre Group Productions today announced two of the stars of the Australian premiere of 9 to 5 The Musical, Dolly Parton's smash hit West End Musical, which will open in February at the Capitol Theatre in Sydney. The latest cast members announced are Caroline O'Connor, who will play the busybody Ross Keith, the administrative assistant who is fiercely and unrequitedly in love with her boss, Franklin Hart Jr. And Eddie Perfect, who will be playing the controlling boss, Franklin Hart Jr. Tickets are on sale from the 29th of October. To book tickets, head to 9to5themusical.com.au for more information. Last week, the Jagged Little Pill Australian cast was announced with Maggie McKenna taking on the role of Joe and recent Queensland Conservatorium graduate Liam Head playing Nick. Nominated for 15 Tony Awards and a recent Grammy winner for Best Musical Theatre Album, this electrifying production about a perfectly imperfect family living in the 21st century suburbia vaults the audience to its collective feet. Congratulations to all the cast, including past podcast guest Georgina Hobson, who will be a part of the ensemble and understanding Natalie Bassingthwaite in the role of Mary Jane. We cannot wait to see this production coming in January 2022. For more information, head to www.jaggedmusical.com. Back to you, Tori. Today's episode is another one of our patented deep dives, and joining us once again is our on-call theatre nerd, Gareth Isaac. Hello, hello. I'm back again. <laughs> he is indeed. How are you, Gareth? I am flaming brilliant. It's a nice, cool Sunday evening. I'm back like a bad penny. You can't get rid of me. Let's talk musicals. Let's do well, it. Let's do it. <laughs> today's musical, as decided by you, our audience members, is the critically acclaimed Tony Award winning smash hit, Hades Town, which I would just like to add, I'm so sorry. This is like one of my top favorite musicals again. So you're just getting all of my favorites first. And next year, the it's fact okay. This keeps happening. How much are you paying the polls? Look, like- it's fine. It's fine. And next, like, oh, and also, by the way, for our listeners, this is actually our last deep dive of the year. So we'll be back it with is. more deep dives next year. Don't worry, Gareth will be joining us right. again as long as we can get that check in the mail. Uh, but, but don't Eventually. worry. Speaking of, my rates are going up next year. <laughs> you might not be seeing Gareth next year. Um, no, <laughs> we will. We will be back next year with more deep dives as voted by you guys. But getting back into it, so Hades Town with lyrics, music, and book by Anais Mitchell. This show was born in 2006 in Vermont and was worked and reworked extensively before making its way to the Walt Kerr Theatre on Broadway in 2019. Using a mixture of ragtime and folk music, Hades Town delivers a deeply moving retelling of the Greek tragedy of Orpheus and Eurydice. 
while also adding in the deeper complexity of the relationship of the two gods, Hades and Persephone. The show modernizes the set and costume whilst keeping the ethereal nature of the original myth alive through poetry, song, symbolism, and one hell of a good lighting rig. The show was nominated for a whopping total of 13 Tony Awards in 2019 and won eight of them, including Best Musical, Best Score, and Best Actor. With direction by Rachel Chavkin, lighting design by Bradley King, scenic design by Rachel Hawke, costumes by Michael Crass, and choreography by David Newman, Town has proved itself to be an absolute godsend of a show. With the production celebrating its Broadway reopening night on September 2nd, 2021, and a full US tour commencing October 15th, the show is bound to hold audiences captive across the country, and I will continually sit here and pray and hope it comes to Australia. Thank you. Look... If it does, I, I literally think it, it is one of those shows that, like, don't get me wrong, like, was super, like, happy Hamilton was coming to Australia, um, but I always knew that it would. Um, there's been plenty of shows that I'm like, oh, yeah, that's really great. Like, Hades Town's from, Hades Town for me is one of those shows that I just, like, I, I would probably legitimately cry if they announced that it was coming to Australia. Like, I won't lie. Like... I just missed my chance to see it on Broadway um, and like that like breaks my heart and obviously I was meant to be in America um, last year so I would have loved to see it but I mean it might. It, it, you never know and I mean the show itself I can't believe how long this show has been in its conception phase and how long since like 2006 till now but it's so relevant right now and really popular I guess you could Mm. say like although it's been in its workshopping phase for years it's really coming to the forefront and people are like Hadestown yes yes it's kind of that Hamilton thing where it takes years for these shows to get off the ground and then when they come Mm -hmm. out it's like ooh, ooh, yes this is so different and exciting to watch and I mean the three of us actually watched it all together the other night oh yes we did slightly (laughs) not Once again, what are you talking about? <laughs> we just happened to watch a production of The Sound of Music, and Hades Town just made its way onto the screen. Well, what no, are you no, talking no, about? no, no. It's fine. We watched um, a Hades Town inspired slime tutorial, um, yes. as most people will know. It, they are they are titled as slime tutorials. Just for so research purposes, we watched a slime tutorial. Um, <laughs> but this show, I would love to say that I'm an OG fan of this show, but I really only discovered it like. I think maybe like a month before the um, original Broadway cast recording came out. Um, But it was really nice, though, because, of course, our favorite uh, theater internet cult leader, Catherine Steele, was who introduced me to it. And I so I did get the opportunity to actually listen to the original um, like cast recording, um, which was mainly the same cast, um, but a Hermes and there was a few people that were different. But it was really nice to see the changes and it not be like, oh, I'm so attached to this original recording. It was nice seeing the changes that were made. Yeah, I'll admit I'm a latecomer to the Hades Town train, if you can <laughs> pardon the pun. Um, I went to New York in 2019, late 2019, after hearing about the show at the Tony Awards. And because I was there for such a short time with such little money and suffering complete burnout from two jobs and a musical that closed three days before I got on the plane... I just didn't get around to seeing it. Mm. And now that I have seen it, I'd listened to the cast recording before that. It was It's a very good show. Mm-hmm. So I'm 
you can see the love in it for me. You can see the timeline of someone has taken every facet of this piece from the 2006 Vermont production all mm-hmm. the way up to now to 2021 and has gone over it with a fine-toothed comb saying, how can we relate this section back to this section? How can we make this make sense? And how can we tell a really bloody good story? And it ugh, it tickles me. Yeah. I would definitely say this is one of those shows that... Now, look, we did watch this because we wanted to be able to discuss every aspect of this show. We didn't want to just discuss the album. I think it's one of those phenomenal shows where you don't need to uh, physically see the show to understand the story that is happening. Um, You can listen to the cast recording because that's that's kind of uh, similar to Hamilton. You Mm. can listen to it and you know the timeline of the story you understand pretty well what is happening there is there is dialogue but it's not like dialogue heavy and it's written so beautifully also that you don't get sick of the music because i have to admit i get to points in hamilton where i'm like okay like get to the point please (laughs) (laughs) i definitely agree the music is is so unique and that's one of the things i love about this show it's got folk it's got the new orleans within it it's got so many different types of influences that it's had. Oh, I've got a cat clawing up me. Okay, okay. so for those playing at home, Tori and Eliza both have animals messing up their recordings. It's delightful on my end. The points I'm making about the music, it's really different and it's really exciting music. I mm. loved when they went down to basically hell where Hades lived and there was that grungy, low, um, it like train work kind of um rhythms there and and not only that but i felt like there was almost that like ticking clock like the the bomb going off like you're waiting for the bomb to happen so it was Mm. it's really exciting music just listening to it and also very different throughout the show for me the main thing that jumps out about the music is number one the poetry of the lyric like the way everything flows very easily into each other the rhymes aren't incredibly complex but they make it work with just the rhythm and the syncopation and the poetry of the way it's delivered. And on top of that, the lyrics that might get lost, like some of the translations from the Greek myth, some people might not comprehend. So that is then followed up by this cleverly designed book by Mitchell, Mm. which then reiterates the important information from the song earlier that unaware theatergoers might have missed those who aren't versed in their Greek tragedies which oh god it's it's clever and I like a clever show I'm just gonna be riding that clever train all show I'm so sorry (laughs) I agree it's a really clever storyline I think for me right because I do know some Greek mythology but I don't know a lot of it so when I first when we first started watching the show I think it was a little hard for me to grasp some some things but then when listening to the music, it was it was really outlined. The story was really quite clear. And I guess that kind of brings us to the discussion of like the plot itself and how how different the source material is to the actual show itself. I was just going to say before jumping into the plot that what I think they do do really well, um, similarly to um, what uh, Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812 do, the very first song um, introduces you to all of the characters, including the ensemble. Mm-hmm. So you know who you're dealing with. It also creates a little bit of this. It doesn't shatter the fourth wall, but it acknowledges that there is an audience watching yeah. and that they are telling a story that 
they want you to understand. So I just love that it goes through and introduces everyone. Um, and it also kind of, you know, it's gives a little bit of a, this is who they are. And then this is their name. If, if that makes sense to listeners. I mean, it's almost like it's designed as if there's a Greek chorus on stage introducing each other. It's Ooh. like, there's a prologue or something. Who saw that Ooh. coming? <laughs> Clever show. Clever, <laughs> clever storytelling, Greek mythology. There it is. Yeah, I, I am. Yeah. I am very much going to be dorking out about parallels to traditional Greek tragedy theatre throughout this entire piece, as well as mythology, because this is my bag, baby. Oh, definitely. I think my favourite thing with watching this show was Eurydice's character and how it's her decision to go to the underworld, and that that's her her mm. like she has autonomy within this show and she she wants she decides that that's where she needs to go but it is also very tragic when when they don't trust each other you know that's yeah. the, that's the tragedy of it really yeah it, it is it's such a tricky thing because she obviously has the autonomy to make this choice but without being given the actual information like she really does also we should have done this right at the beginning if you haven't seen this show <laughs> There's going to be a few spoilers, but it is it is based on Greek mythology. You can listen to the cast recording. Um, but she does make this choice under the belief that she is going to the mines to work. Uh, but she actually goes to Hades, uh, to Hades town, um, and dies. She is given two golden coins, uh, which in um, Greek history and Greek mythology, that is... You know, those two gold coins are placed on your eyes when you die and you take them to heaven and or hell when you die um, as payment. Um, and she's given these two golden coins and that is her ticket. And that's when, for me, when actually physically seeing the show, I was able to go, oh, shit, like, she's dead. And that's what happens. Yep. She when she realizes very quickly once being there and starting to work in the mines, I say in air quotes, she has lost her freedom. That The whole point was to get money to have freedom. And she has now completely lost it. Yeah, it's the concept of doing something in order to survive, but not realising that this undertaking is not worth the survival it brings. Mm. Ultimately, Eurydice was suffering on the surface with Orpheus. There was no spring. Persephone had gone back down below. Uh, there was no food. There was suffering. Orpheus was wrapped up in his own delightful little world of finding the song to bring back the spring, but without realising his own precious flower had already wilted. So yeah. it's a nice touch, I think, to allow Eurydice a choice yeah. instead of traditional Greek mythology. She steps on a snake and dies. Ooh, yeah. So original. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's how she ends up in the underworld. And I think so it's, this, I, this I liked. I think it's nice having having her make that choice as well because then you can see that um, it's this choice that happens. Again, massive spoiler for the way that this show ends, but it's the choice that she makes to go um, and leave behind um, Orpheus because she doesn't feel like... Uh, she doesn't trust Orpheus to take care of her. And then when they're coming back from the underworld, the one thing that Orpheus needs to do is trust that Persephone... Uh, not Persephone... Uh, Eurydice yeah. is following him and he doesn't trust that she's there because he doesn't trust her based off of the decision that she made. So it's like decisions and 
the repercussions that they cause and it ultimately they just don't end up trusting each other and he turns back and she's gone forever. That killed me. Oh. And I think we've hit on one of the main themes of the show here. Trust, I think, mm. is so integral to the plot, not just with Orpheus and Eurydice, of course, but with the supporting characters. Hermes mm. has to trust mm. he's made the right decisions in bringing Orpheus up the way he has, Persephone does not trust that Hades loves her anymore. Hades does not trust Persephone to return to the underworld as agreed upon their schedule. So mm. I think trust and a lack of trust leading to a lack of love and a lack of freedom is mm. so important to this piece. And it gets me right in my feely place every time. I love the way that they use the Hades and Persephone's relationship to almost mirror... Eurydice and Orpheus's relationship mm. it's really powerful because I think there is so much that is relatable between both relationships and there is so much said between them that they're growing apart and but they still have that love together and they're they're able to recognize oh well this is the love that we had and we can get back to that there is so much about this story that relates to people in their everyday lives you can mm -hmm. you can take your own relationships and see where you're at in your own relationships if that's super in love if that's drifting apart if that's needing to connect more and and that's the beauty of this story when you when you leave you feel the love although it's a tragedy <laughs> yeah and I feel like that's kind of the point. It's not like the kind of tragedy where you leave going incredibly like depressed about what mm. you've just seen. There is still this new birth that's come to it, which we will talk about later, the, the way that they do the show. But something that I think in what you were talking about, trust and also people growing apart, mm. um, the way that the set is designed is yes. phenomenal. So right in the center of the stage. So it's set up. To me, how I picture it, um, having gone to New Orleans, I picture it as um, like kind of an old jazz bar, really. Yeah. And it's set up in kind of this semicircle kind of coliseum style theatre. Um, and right an in the centre. An amphitheatre, if you will. An amphitheatre, if you will. Um, and in the centre is two rotating, similar to, similarly to Hamilton, two rotating portions of the stage. And then right in the center is a cylindrical shaft <laughs> that is the road to Hadestown. Um, and that's Ooh. where the train is and everything happens. And, you know, when they go to Hadestown, when they come back up and all that. But there is this moment between um, Hades and Persephone where that hole has just kind of been left there and they're on opposite sides of it. And they can't really get to each other directly anymore there is no direction to their love obviously and you can tell and i think this is one of the most important things you know that they still love each other but they have grown apart and they don't know how to connect anymore mm -hmm. and they kind of do right at the very end but then obviously persephone gets to leave again for six months and the cycle begins again of the loathing that he doesn't trust that she's going to come back, so he comes early. It's that staging and that set design that really caught my eye. Because ultimately, it's a very simple set, aside from yeah. the revolves and the sudden drop. There's a section in Act 1 where suddenly the back of the set opens up and splits apart. You see these streets to symbolise that a set has changed. 
Yeah. And that's mm. the only really major shift in any of the set pieces throughout the show. There's tables and chairs, of course. They come flying on and off through a delightful mem- member of the chorus. But other than that, it's all done through the lighting and mm. the staging to show yeah. different areas of this underworld, of this bar, of Hades Town itself. It's. I'm, I'm just going to keep beating this horse. It's clever. Yeah. It's definitely clever. I did love the vibe. I like I like how I say all these wonderful things and then just hamstring myself by coming back to this one word. <laughs> I do that all the time though. <laughs> it yeah. is it is very clever and it's also just really interesting to watch. I love how like grungy and almost like they kind of use that steampunk kind of vibes as well with the with the hanging lights and really clever use of lights obviously um in the not only the trap doors but you've got the the lighting that happens down in the what do you call it save me here tori <laughs> uh, so you I, I believe what you're talking about is the uh the lighting that they use in wait for me so yes. when they're so obviously um hades persephone and eurydice all go to hades town on a train you know um but uh orpheus is not so lucky he has to walk to hades town because he does not have a ticket because he has not been offered death or he has not died um so he has to walk and obviously and you can watch this this exact moment that we're talking about wait for me because this is what they performed at the tony awards uh, in 2019 um and 100% watch it because this is the prime example of the way that they use lighting throughout, like they don't need multiple sets. The way that they use the lighting in this show is phenomenal. And they have these big giant hanging, (laughs) big giant hanging lights that are kind of used to isolate Orpheus to show that he is moving. He's obviously, he's walking on the revolve as well. Um, And the fates are there and they have these handheld lanterns. So their use of light throughout this whole show makes it, really diverse without having to be like and scene change you know because there are moments where the lights are completely it's completely dark in the theater bar these lanterns or follow spots all these dangling lights and they actually have choreographed them into the show which i've never seen that done before where they've used lighting as a part of the choreography and it's so effective it's done phenomenally so 100 percent watch on youtube because like this was the first time I actually got to see a portion of the show. And I was I was already sold on the show, but that and their use of the lighting, I was just, like, done at that point. Agreed. Like, there's a reason it took out the best lighting, Tony. If it was going to take any award that night, that was... It, uh, it was a given. One. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, they took out yes, exactly. so many of those awards as well. Yeah, like eight, eight out of thirteen. That's that's at least two thirds. Yeah, <laughs> and I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong. They won the Tony for best director, and this was the first female director to win that Tony. Am I correct? Rachel Chavkin. So she won best direction of a musical um, at, for Hades Town in 2019, and she was the first woman to win that award, which is phenomenal, and I think rightly so. Like that show was done and directed to perfection. Yeah, and there's a reason you can see a lot of the same touches on Hadestown is because uh, Chavkin was involved from some of its earliest days. Mm-hmm. Anais Mitchell had done the 2006 run, fun fact, was the original Eurydice. She did a yes. Lin-Manuel Miranda, but then stepped away. 
I love uh, that. Then did the cast recording in 2010, then put it on the back burner. She just put it away. She gave it to the birds. 2012 rolls around. She goes off to see a version of Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet. Chavkin's directing. Mitchell's like, holy hell, this is great. And then gets Chavkin involved. Chavkin kicks Mitchell and says, you're going to need to write entirely new material to make this, this, and this make sense. Mitchell goes back, Mm. writes 15 new songs on Chavkin's notes, and the two of them shape the show together. And that's one of the reasons I'm so drawn to Hadestown, is because it is this labour of love and trust. Oh, definitely. I think that it's really interesting the way that she writes. I found it really interesting when researching about about the show itself that there is so much of history intertwined into it you've got George Bush's re-election and the Great Depression and and she like I, I read something and she spoke about how basically George Bush had quite an influence on on the storyline and about corrupt per, corrupt politics and that that shows within Hades and then you have um, not only you have the Great Depression, which we can see within the costuming, we can see that 20s, 30s references, we see the pinstripes in Hades, and you can see the, the references of so many different parts of America's history in this one show. And it's really actually quite interesting as well. While we're on politics, uh, when looking at this, why we build a wall, <laughs> which is the song yep, where we he go. literally we says go. words like the wall keeps out the enemy and we build the wall to keep us free and that's why we build the wall was actually coincided with Trump's campaign when this came out and so yeah that that's that's the funny thing the song existed in 2006 it's the song was written a, a long time before that but the mm. the show itself was on at the time when Trump's election was happening and so people use that song and like as like a cry in in Trump's rallies and things which she didn't she stated she never expected that like she didn't think it was relevant so many people have you know wrote songs about walls she wasn't expecting her song to be so relevant to the trump campaign so she definitely does not support trump (laughs) um but it is really interesting to see how how even though she didn't intentionally make any of those choices how sometimes history kind of repeats itself and you can see that within shows like this you can see that Hades is almost kind of like a Trump in a way I think that in talking about um some of the coinciding and talking about some of the costuming as well like one of my favorite moments is obviously Persephone in the very beginning of the show has her hair down she's got a beautiful bright red flower Mm. in her hair she's got this gorgeous green dress on she is the embodiment of spring of summer of the warmer seasons and at the beginning of act two i believe when they really arrive in hades town um she is in black she looks like a widow she looks like a widow gone to mourn and that's because she loses her color what she is is she is spring. She was, if you know Greek mythology, you know that Persephone was tricked. Obviously, she fell in love with a man. Um, she didn't fall in love with a, a tyrannical a tyrannical bastard. Um, but I mean, we've all been there. She, yeah. Well, I mean, oh, yeah. Yes. But obviously, she is spring and she is summer and she loved him as a man, but she didn't expect to be tricked into 
having to spend six years of ev- uh, six oh my god I did it again six months of every year um in the underworld and that drains her of her life of her color of of who she is and it's I re- find it really funny because she does re- um kind of tend to then go to alcohol to bring her fun because you know she drinks she brings a summer wine um when spring arrives um and then obviously when she's in Hades town that's kind of it seems to be a little bit about how she survives and how she can will herself to stay there but the moment that Hades actually offers her a drink she says no because she is so upset and so moved by Orpheus, which I think is a lot you can tell for her as and her for her character development in that moment to say, no, I don't want to be numb to this because this is how we used to feel, and I want to feel that again. It it's it's that delightful parallel once more. Well, on the topic of dancing, my friends, it's Ooh. time for the two of you to dance to my tune because it's time for a game. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> Seamless segue. I love My it. My lord. Killing this is why the game. the big bucks. Killing the game. So once again, yep. friends, we find ourselves in the midst of a game. I have been nominated as game master for this time around to help sow the seeds of discourse between our two favorite hosts, <laughs> and it is once more a trivia contest. <gasps> Ooh. I like this. I'll be asking separate questions as we go along, and I have a tiebreaker question if necessary. It's going to be short, sweet, and painful for you guys. I'm excited. I'm ready. <laughs> that, that's, that, that's not something to be excited about, Eliza, but all right, let's go. <laughs> we'll see how she goes. We all, mean... learned, we all learned something about Eliza on that dark day in September. Um, <laughs> let us begin. Eliza, this okay. is a three-answer question. Oh, goodness. There are three actors portraying the fates of Greek mythology, and each one of them plays an instrument in Hades Town. Can you tell me which instruments the fates play? <gasps> oh, this is a good one. Violin. Yes. Accordion. Yes. And um, a tambourine. Correct. <laughs> She's done it. My God. God. Yes, I was actually really impressed when watching that they played. And then there's the one person on the tambourine. I feel like I would be the girl on the tambourine. Like <laughs> the others are like playing full instruments, <laughs> and I'm like, let me just get that tambourine life. <laughs> oh, I would, I would forego all instruments and just have a jaw harp, like boing, boing, boing. Oh, anyway, yeah, perfect. <laughs> Dear sweet Tori, it's time yes. for a lyric challenge. Oh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. In the song, in Act Two. Epic 3. Hades is referred to as king of three things. Can you tell me what they are? Um, okay. King of shadows. Yes. King of shade. Yes. King of the underworld. Correct! Yeah, it's king of shadows, king of shade. Hades was king of the underworld. Oh, and that was how Stage Door Podcast got copyright striked. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's five seconds, right? <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, five seconds. Uh, Liza. All right, I'm ready. 
Persephone, the goddess of spring and the queen of the underworld, is often seen drinking from a flask. Can you tell me what shape the flask is? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Can I jump in? I'm, I know what shape the flask is. I'm, well, I'm going to guess what shape the flask is. It's going to be a complete guess. It is the shape. Guess. Of a skull. Is that close? That was a complete guess. No. I want to... Can I answer? No, it can is I not. answer? <laughs> I know. Can I answer? Yeah. Yes, Tori can jump. Tori can jump in. Tori can jump in. It's a, Steal it's it. Just a, it's just a circular flask. Correct. It's what? just a circle. What? I was, like, I was like, isn't it just a flask? Like a normal flask? Doesn't she just drink Well, a normal life? flask is God, like um, a rectangle. A rectangle with a curve, as a matter of fact, so it can easily be hidden in a pocket along the curve of the body because oh. prohibition's a thing. Yes. Just yes, got yes, too yes. carried away with it. Thought I'd really go outside the box, yep. here, guys. All right, all right. So Tori's ahead, and it's her turn to get a question. <laughs> okay. All right, Tori. In Hades Town proper, the workers are all seen wearing a specific costume item on their head. Can you tell me what Goggles. it is? Goggles. Correct. Oh, good one. So I don't think there's a need for a tiebreaker round on oh. this one. The game. I want to know what the question is, though. But I want to know what the question is. Can I you ask us the like question anyway? Okay, ask us. Do it. Well, fun fact: I had to change things around because I was going to give you a very easy question if I followed my original plan. What color is Orpheus's neckerchief? Red. Red. <laughs> Red, there you go. The blood of angry men. <laughs> Wrong show. Sorry. Got carried away again. <laughs> Congratulations, Oh, how dare Tori. you. It's like you study musical theatre or something. <laughs> oh, thank you. Well-deserved win. You. you know, how can I can't complete, compete. It's one of your favourite musicals, so I'm really glad you won that one. Thank you. I, I do try. Congratulations, um, Tori. And, and speaking of the fact that it is one of my favourite musicals, I'm going to do a really terrible segue. Um, you know what else is one of my favourite parts about this show? <laughs> Go on, please tell us. One of my f- favourite parts about this show is the absolutely fantastical Amber Grey who portrays P- Persephone in this show and has the ent- almost the entire... I believe, since 2006. Um, And she has always done it absolutely phenomenally. She is the embodiment of this character. Her voice is next level. Um, It just... I don't know if I could imagine... I I know that there are other people that will do this just as well and will tell the story just as well. I don't know if there's anyone that I could quite see as Persephone other than Amber Grey. And, like, she gets into it. Oh, yeah. She really gets into it. And, like, we're going to talk about the choreography at some point. <laughs> and I don't know necessarily if this is choreographed or if this is... I feel like Anais Mitchell um, and um, Rachel Chavkin would have had a little bit of, like, a what-do-you-feel-like-doing-in-this-moment kind of thing with their mm. actors. And I feel like some of the choices that... Um, some of the choreography I say in air quotes that Amber Gray does was a choice of her own and it just fits it just fits she's her and the music are one. Oh, I definitely agree one of my favorite moments of the show was when she just like put her hair upside down and she just like boogied with her like having one of those what's that that uh like 
what's that show where his hair is all over the front of him and it's like the Adams family? It was cousin like it. It was a cousin it moment where she just put all her hair cousin it over her head and she just like danced and it was so it was just it was incredible to watch because it was really strange but it was so embodied to, and that's what to I to give loved. you the proper to give you the proper visual yes <laughs> she's like she is like hinged at the hips <laughs> kind of like a toddler having a tantrum has just like yes. thrown herself over herself if that makes but sense. I just really enjoyed the cousin it kind of reference to like her hair being down and like how she just like moved her body so freely but it was such a bold and amazing choice which you don't see yeah. very often. Honestly, the entire cast is standout, in my opinion. Oh, yes. They mm. were all nominated for awards for their roles, except, I believe, for Reeve Carney, who plays Orpheus. And I... Look, I agree with that choice, but that's another matter. The casting in this show has been on point since day one. There's been powerhouses mm-hmm. in every mm-hmm. role. As I mentioned earlier, Anais Mitchell herself playing Eurydice up until the 2010 original cast recording of this delightful folk opera but everyone has pulled it together and it's such a seamless flawless ensemble piece with the standout characters of course andre de shields patrick page who my god voice that echoes to the roots (laughs) of my soul oh i have to say if if you want to do something listen to uh i believe it's hey little songbird listen to that in your car really loud it literally the base of his voice vibrates the car and it is just oh the God. first time i heard his voice i was like <laughs> i'm sorry i'm about to swear but like what the actual fuck is like i was like what has he done who who did he what gods did he get blessed by to have a voice like that and i have to admit having andre de shields as hermes is like <laughs> Like, he's just, he's a 75-year-old man who has the most spunk I have ever seen on stage. All he has to do is smile at the audience and they go wild. He is, and his voice, just, and his command over the the stage and the band and, and the rest of the players is just phenomenal. Oh, yeah. I mean, all of... All of the cast were complete standouts. I think the thing that shocked me the most was Patrick Page's just com- uh, like presence on stage and commanding voice. Yep. I don't think I've ever heard a voice that yeah. low. But also it was kind of like, oh, he's like 75, but damn. Like his, his, his voice and how he looked, I was like, goodness gracious. Like, Wait. Patrick Page isn't 75. Is he about 75? No, no, no. Pa- no, Andre de Shields, who plays Hermes, is 75. Oh! <laughs> Patrick Page is not 75. <laughs> Slight sidebar on Patrick Page. If you ever get the chance to acquire a copy of The Hunchback of Notre Dame, he is Judge Frollo in that. His rendition of Hellfire does things to me. Oh, my God. Yes, well, thank I will, you. I, I, I'm going to need to... to look into that but i think i want to talk about i want to talk about casting um yep obviously which we already have been but reeve carney uh and eva uh eva noblezada um i'm so sorry if i'm saying that name wrong i really tried um i do believe it's noblezada <laughs> but eva's voice is she has done so many shows and but she brings so much youth 
to this role, which I think is important. Like there's like a a weathered by the world vibe to um, Eurydice, but she still brings the innocence that is necessary. And obviously, um, Ava and Reeve are a couple. I don't think they were a couple before this. I could be wrong in saying that, but you can definitely the the chemistry on stage is just phenomenal. I absolutely adore it. And I have to say, I know people don't agree. I love Reeve Carney, but I have loved Reeve Carney since I saw him in Penny Dreadful. Um, and his weird <laughs> skinny white boy. Um, but there were definitely some moments in the show where I did go, he's a tenor. We get it. You're a tenor. Yep. That, I think, is the reason he's still with the show. His voice is so high and so pure. Not a lot of people can do that role comfortably. Couple that with him playing his own instruments, which not a lot of people will be able to do on the Broadway scene, especially at that skill level. So that, I think, is why he's still there. He's still doing it and still doing a really good job of the song and the music. But his acting, to me, it's a little one note. Mm. So I kind of disagree with you on the chemistry aspect, Tori. I think he plays an earnest character very well. Like, he's mm. got the earnest energy of a young boy, Orpheus. Mm. But that's all he does with it. There's no real change through the show. So at some mm. point, when he was doing his la-la-la-la-la-la-la section, I was just like, shut the fuck up and move on. Get me to a more interesting character, please. I think it actually, it would be really interesting to see someone else play that role and see what they could do with it. You don't necessarily have to be hitting those high notes to tell the story. It doesn't matter, like, yeah, you can be a tenor, but you don't need to hit those high notes in order to tell the story well. So it would be interesting to see someone else who embodies that character slightly differently. I did really enjoy mm. his singing. It was really quite different. And you either, I think you either love it or you hate mm. it. And that's kind of, I agree. that's kind of the vibe. But Ava really stole the show for me. She, her acting mm. Agreed. was next level. I think that acting is the most important thing at the end of the day. You can sing as high as you want to, but if you can embody that, that singing and that acting together, and that's what she does so well. I mean, we saw it in Miss Saigon. We've seen mm. it in this as well. She, I'm just excited to see what else she does after Hades Town because she's been with them for a while now. So we'll see what happens. Well, I guess you could say that they've been with the show for a while, but when you consider that they opened in 2019 and mm. then were shut down in early 2020 and then have only just come back, like they've been with it for That's a while. True. And I would actually love, oh my God, I would love to see the show now post COVID because it would oh. change so much. But I think that the stands out the standouts of the show are Ava and Amber. Like they absolutely kill it. Um, although Great. I do think something to consider that just kind of popped into my head, uh, Gareth, as you were saying it about how it is very Reeves acting. It does tend to be quite one note. <gasps> oh, I've touched but, a nerve. Um, and like, I guess also to consider how old are they? Because at a certain age, sometimes all you can think about is that one thing. And literally, as soon as as soon as soon he sees Eurydice, he literally says, Hermes tells him, don't come on too strong. And he walks over to Eurydice and says, come home with me. And she's like, who are you? And he's like, the man that's going to marry you. So as soon as he sees her, that is, that is his one note, which is what I take yep. away from that. Um, I do think it would be interesting to see somebody else 
take on that role. And obviously, you will be seeing somebody else take on that role because the US tour is uh, commencing yes. soon. Um, but no, I think I absolutely loved it. And I feel like we kind of have already touched on this, but what was everyone's like favourite moment in the show? Can I go first? Yeah, go you for go it. for it, Gareth. Like, the way I'm going to say this makes it sound like I was waiting for it, but the end. The end mm. was my favourite bit. Mm. Because, you know, spoilers... Orpheus is leading Eurydice out of the underworld. The lighting is done so well that they're both fading in and out of everyone's vision. Mm-hmm. The rule is he can't look back, otherwise Eurydice is trapped in the underworld forever. He looks back, she vanishes. And then, through Hermes' guidance, the whole show begins again. The story is told again. Not only is it because these Greek myths are the basis of pretty much every story we tell today it's a nice story of love begins again trust begins again spring will come again Mm. things will be okay and that i think is what i took away from the show things are going to be all right that was my favorite bit where they pulled it all together Mm. yeah and literally from what you just said spring will come again spring is also about rebirth and that is exactly what happens. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Persephone is reborn. She, her, her joy, her will to experience life to its fullest is reborn. Um, Orpheus and Eurydice are reborn, you know, whether they would be two completely new people, you know, mm-hmm. um, because mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a tale of love and it's a tale of tragedy. Um, Eliza, what was your favourite moment? My favourite moment, I think this whole show was my favourite moment, but obviously I need to choose one. (laughs) (laughs) That's cheating. I know. What a cheat. What a cheat. But I actually really love Wait For Me. Um, I think think just the, the dynamic of the song itself, but also how it grows and changes is just... It's really electrifying. I, I really connect with their love story. I think it's so powerful and so you know, obviously he's leading her and she is following. And um, and like Gareth said, it's just like that that, that ending as well. And, and um, the fact that they don't trust each other was heartbreaking, but also just really reflects, it, it makes you reflect. And that's what I loved the most about, about the show. It took me a little bit to get into the initial parts of the show. Um, but mm. after, after that, I've, really connected with the story and understood it and was along for the journey if that makes sense what about you tori what was your favorite Hmm. i think i'm gonna i'm gonna be annoying i have two favorite moments um (laughs) one of which being go away i love flowers Mm. um which is a song that um eurydice sings it's really um it's i think the first time i listened to it i was like oh my god that's such a beautiful song and then seeing it i was like oh my god this song is absolutely heartbreaking. And I feel like you can see Ava's heartbreak on that stage. And that just absolutely blew me away. Like, there are so many moments in this show that I absolutely love. Like, pretty much any time Persephone is on stage, I love. Anytime Hermes is on stage, I love. Um, but I feel like Flowers was just this... The whole show kind of has a bit of a rhythm and a movement to it. Um, and I think also having the band on stage is absolutely phenomenal because they are just as part of the cast 
as the cast, you know. Um, but there was just this complete moment of just stillness, I feel, when she sings Flowers. Mm. Um, and it's about, I think, um, my interpretation is about being tricked by men, by the world, by Hades, by life. Um, so that's one of my favourite moments. And then something that uh, we got the opportunity to see in being able to watch it was that it ends in a way I've never seen um, a show end, which is, mm. you know, they do uh, Road to Hell, they reprise it, which is beautiful because like we were talking about before, it has this, uh, you know, it repeats itself again. Um, but it's done in this different way where you, everything that me says has happened and you get to see it with kind of its little bittersweet meaning behind it mm. which at the beginning of the show was just like fun rhymes it's like the vibe of the music you're getting into and it's slightly slowed down and you get all these bittersweet moments but after the cast have done their bows um the part of the chorus grabs um a tray of cups and they fill them up with summer wine and they sing i raise my cup which is not on the cast recording and it's kind of like their version of an encore but it's this beautiful moment of acknowledging what they've just done, what they will continue to do, what you've just witnessed, and the continuation of storytelling and raising a cup to life. And I cannot even begin to imagine what that would have been like doing that after coming back oh, after the lockdown. Yeah. Um, I feel like I would have <laughs> completely like broke down. Um, but it was just the most beautiful way to end a show. Like, don't get me wrong. I love it when, like, you know, waitress, they do open it up again and, you know, you get that moment. But because it's kind of almost completely separate from the show, it's like thanking you for watching, thanking you for listening to their story and go out to the world and continue to tell stories, mm. which I think is beautiful. Yeah, and it's, it's such it's a, a beautiful way to end the show and it's such a beautiful way to end the episode. Yeah. It's a more sincere version of Get Out from the producers. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Exactly. Um, <laughs> it's a powerful and way to end the show, that is for sure. It is. And it's like such a beautiful moment to go, take this with you, you know? Like, yeah. there were definitely some shows that you could see where, don't get me wrong, love Wicked to pieces. Um, and I don't think that Wicked is overhyped. But you kind of go home for a couple of hours, you were like, that was, that was great. And then that's, that was good. I feel like I feel like Hades Town. You leave, and that's like a part of you. Yeah, it affects Forever. you, and it will stay yeah. with you, which is what is so beautiful about this show. I hope everyone will get the opportunity to see this show at some point. Make sure you guys check out the cast album, and thank you so much for joining us on this. Also, thank you to Gareth again for being such an amazing co-host. You are co-host. so welcome. We try, we try. We love having you here, and everyone loves listening to your opinions as well. So uh, we'll just keep it going next year. But this is our last deep dive of 2021. I know. How incredible. We did it, guys. We did it. Thank you guys for joining us. We hope you enjoyed. And until next time, stay happy, healthy, and safe. Bye. Bye. 
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.